Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 237, and it's a Halloween two-part special with a hell of a guest. You will already know who it is. I've been holding off. My Patreon crew will know who it is already, because I told them a few weeks back. But yeah, I'm joined this week at long last by the one and only Liam Howlett for an incredibly rare um, personal and in-depth two-part conversation so yeah i'm delighted that this one's come about um i mentioned patreon there i me i almost said who i'm collaborating with me and someone are releasing something today i'm not going to tell you about it just yet because i promised the patreon lot i'd give them a head start so there's a good chance it'll sell out before anyone other than the patreon lot know about it so I'm giving you a warning there, but um, if you want to head over to patreon.com slash pip, it's less than a quid to uh, to join that gang and to get the heads up on these things. There's also, there's some other merch coming out soon in the winter that I'll give you a head start on as well. It's less a limited, but yeah, you might, I'm just saying today of all days, you might want to head over. Oh man, that seems harsh actually, because if you, if you subscribe today then I think you'll get charged again tomorrow because it's um, the new, the first of the month. So yeah, that's confusing. But still, it's only, it's less than a pound a month. So if you enjoy these podcasts, less than a pound a month seems reasonable. Anyway, I'll stop rambling on about that. It's very exciting. But um, I will talk about last week's podcast, which went down an absolute treat. I've had some great ones recently sage francis and b dolan were on last week um and i talk about b dolan i think in this episode at some point um yeah really pleased with what a reaction there people seemed hype for me to have them back on they're obviously part of speech development records so if you head to speech development you can buy their album you can buy my merch or you can buy distraction pieces merch and so on and so forth but um yeah sitting down with liam it was an absolute treat um, if this is your first time tuning in, um, I know we've got a, l- a, l- a lot of new listeners because of Spotify. So if it's your first time tuning in on Spotify or on Acast or iTunes, then first of all, you know, welcome. Welcome, welcome. And secondly, yeah, you might want to go and check some of the back catalogue. Goldie feels like he might appeal to Prodigy fans. Uh, Roots Maneuver, maybe. Some Kate Tempest. Mike Skinner. We had Mike on. Professor Green, example, S- some really good people over the uh, over the last. I've added it. I've added. Oh, I can't speak. I've got a stuttering. If you are new, I've had Eddie Temple Morris on on one of the early ones, and on towards the end of that, he tells amazing stories of being on tour with the Prodigy. So definitely check that out. But yeah, I won't ramble on too much because this is a two-parter. So enjoy part one. Um, that's up now because you're listening to it. Part two will be up at midday. In the next part, I'll mention what the um, uh, the limited edition ha- Halloween surprise is. Yeah, because they'll probably have all gone by then. Anyway, this is episode 237 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the Prodigy's own Liam Howlett. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of fiction is the intro to destruction. This piece of
Just go. Um, so I always do a, a backup now because out of the 230-odd I've done, I had one that didn't oh, really? get the file corrupted and it broke my heart. Was, I managed to go back and re-record it, right. yeah. but I was just heartbroken. I felt like an idiot. I felt yeah. like an amateur, just... just I was watching it the whole time, it all recorded, and then I got to, I had a three-hour drive afterwards, and yeah. I got to the hotel room, yeah. and the file was ten seconds long, and I was like, what oh, fuck? Mate, so that was grim. But yeah, I'm here today with Liam Howlett. How you doing, man? How you doing, man? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's been, I mean, good spirits. It's been a long time coming, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I will be going back and forth on this yeah. for a while. Well, Every I'm, now and then I'm I'll get an email off you. Yeah, known yeah, while, yeah it's been yeah, a good man. few years. Yeah, yeah, man, looking forward to it. And every now and then I'll... I'll get a nice email if you've if there's an episode that you've particularly enjoyed, and it'll yeah, be like yeah. that'll be my point to go. Yeah, you're still welcome anytime, man. But again, <laughs> as we were saying before we started rolling, it's timing, isn't it? You've got yeah, a new record and a new yeah. tour and all that coming. That's the perfect time to have a, a proper conversation. The, the thing with me is, I'm I'm a kind of I used to be able to sort of multitask and yeah. put the mind to doing different things, but I find now if I'm if I wanna if I'm doing a record, yeah, that's all I can do. do yeah, you know what I mean, I can't yeah. even go to dinner with my mates, do you know yeah. what I mean? I kind of like literally come in here in the studio and just sitting here for like sometimes 18, 19 hours a day and loving it, Yeah, you know, and having a sleep on this couch when I need to. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And that's the only way to get it done. And that's, I think, that's one of the reasons why this album was done so quick. It's one I've just written, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great space, man. The art on the walls yeah. is amazing. It's kind of like an extension of my house, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All the bits that my um, my wife sort of says, nah, you're not putting that in the house, they end up in here. <laughs> it's yeah. too dark or moody or grim. Yeah. You bring it in here, that's perfect. So yeah. uh, so how's it been this last... I mean, uh, uh, what you were saying there about getting that focus, mm. I think that's a really important thing and I think it's the thing that's getting overlooked in the music industry a bit now because we've gone all digital and people are like, yeah. oh, you don't need a label anymore. So, well, s- some artists need to just be the artist. They don't need to be worrying about every detail of a release or the build-up or the timing, all this kind of thing. Yeah. But sometimes you need other people there to go, well, here you go, let's yeah, it's let us of, deal with that and you deal with being... Yeah, it's kind of like, artist. it's kind of like, leave me alone yeah. and I'll tell you when it's done. Yeah. I hate the, you know, there's nothing worse than like any kind of person that's record company based, whether sticking a timeline on something. But yeah. I mean, to be honest, all the pressure comes from myself, not really from anyone else. I don't really care about record labels and stuff, do you know what I mean? And uh, I care about the, myself and the band when it comes to the music, yeah. us, us three, you know. Yeah. You know. And it's, 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 it, f- it feels like you're enjoying being b- back in the cycle as such of touring, yeah. recording, touring, recording, because you obviously, yeah. you've, you've had long periods off from that and then it feels like you've yeah. come back and often when bands come back, you're like, oh, is it going to be a one-off thing? But it's, it seems like you've all, all <laughs> yeah. found your role and your stride and gone, right, this yeah, is exciting now. I want to... It is, you're playing huge tours and you want to play new yeah. new music there as well. It's the train you can't get off, really, but yeah. we don't want to, do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, every time we kind of, um, we assess, we always assess ourselves, say, are we, are we, are we got something to give, you know? Do, do we do we enjoy it? Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it kind of like all feeds from the music. I mean, from the start, if I've got ideas that feel strong, then it's kind of like, okay, there's four or five ideas. We're doing an album now. Yeah, Not yeah, like yeah. we're doing an album when we're starting. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's kind of the way it's always been, especially with this record. Cause I, I said to the guys, um, to Keith and Maxim, I said, uh, I'm, I'm good. I think I'm just going to do EPs, you know, because I like the idea of sort of getting sort of three or four tracks together, sticking them out, you know, 
going and doing some gigs, sticking to another EP out. And it feels more like... Immediacy of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, man. And just kind of like more regular, do you know what I mean? And just... But then, of course, once I've started in the studio, I've gotten a really good buzz. And before long, I've got six ideas down yeah. pretty quickly. And then I'm like, I sort of rethought that idea and thought, no, yeah. I still am old school. I still like the idea of, yeah. you know, stamping the authority of an album on... 2018. Do you yeah, know what I mean? you yeah, can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Prodigy seven albums. It's not many, is it? Seven. No, no. <laughs> it ain't many. It's not. It's no. not. But again, it's. I mean, and we'll we'll get into it. Mm. They've all had such important changes in them and, and 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 developments along the way that it's it's exciting. I completely get the the idea of EPs because again, it's it's something I've thought along the lines of. Yeah. If I come back to music, well, maybe an EP because it's got that immediacy, but. If you're writing an album and having that yeah. immediacy, then that's fine. Yeah. If if the album is done quick enough, because everyone, yeah. if you slave over so, an album, there's gonna by the time it comes out, there's gonna be songs that you're yeah. not excited about anymore. Yeah, because you're excited about the stuff you've just done, and that's the yeah. the double edged sword of it. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I still quite like the idea of doing EPs in between the albums. Yeah. So when you've sort of done your singles or whatever, and you're in that point where you where you know you've done. Michael Jackson, you released the Ted tracks as singles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, you get to the point where the album's kind of done, and that, that's a good time to be doing it because I'm, I'm writing yeah. all the time. You know, all the time I'm, I'm writing beats every day because I, I love it still. It's not work to me. You know, I've always done that. I'm, if I've got a bit of spare time, that's what I do. I was yeah. I say, do you get to write on the road much? Because tours are yeah. the, the the monotony of tours is what yeah. kills bands. But if you're at that point where yeah. you've got that control it, and creativity it, the touring can breed kind of like a certain sort of uh, craziness i think do you know what yeah. I mean? and, and some people can handle it some people can't do you know what i mean it it tends to reduce you to kind of like schoolboy behavior do you yeah. know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah and just you know sort of just to just to knock the boredom off and keep yourself entertained do you know what i mean but like it's not the real world is it it ain't the real world it's, i mean it's, it's a bizarre one but it's just not the real world it's one one story just come i just said saying that one story just came back to my mind actually yeah. we were in uh japan this is going back to well what year was it? it must have been it was in the 90s it was late 90s maybe 98 99 yeah we're in japan doing fuji rock festival the, the festival got rained off and so all these bands are in this hotel us green day Rage Against the Machine, and we just we're drinking. You know, we're just like, going, well, what the fuck are we going to do? You know, yeah. Um, can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go uh, ahead. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, just um, so the next thing we see is we, we get a knock on the door, and it's one of the Green Day boys. We've, we've like they've gone out and bought these guns, these like ball bearing guns. <laughs> oh, so they mate. chuck a couple of us, and we, then we just spend the rest of the night running around the hotel. Just, and that's the kind of stuff you do, you know, yeah. just to kind of re- alleviate the boredom, really. But yeah. Obviously, we live for that hour and 20 minutes, whatever it is. We try and get it like, more like the Ramones, more like 50 minutes. Yeah, it has yeah, more impact. yeah, yeah. But no, no, you know, you live for that moment on stage where you can play the tunes. That's that's what we're, that's what the Prodigy are built for. Yeah, know? and the rest you of know? it is, is, is filling time yeah, until I mean, you get there. Like I said, I'm not really a, I'm not a sightseer. I'm a more of a nighttime person. I prefer just to kind of not, I don't really go outside during the daytime much, you know. I'm usually just, uh, well, travelling really, if we're doing gigs, you know. But I'm not, I'm not one to kind of. I've, I've seen everything before. I've that. I'm not bothered about going to the Leaning Tower Pizza and yeah. shit like that. Yeah, do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah, you know? yeah. You've done that. Yeah. It's, so it's kind of, it's yeah, it's it's all about that moment on stage. Other than Absolutely. that, is hotel rooms. Yeah, which can be fucking boring, but like, it's part of the job. But 
hey, that's that's what we love, you know. I mean, the, the, the prodigy couldn't exist if it wasn't for the live side, you know. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day. I was thinking like, I'd still write music, but this, being able to play that music on stage influences what that is. Yeah. You know? And sort of, um, I guess you know, I'm not an angry person. I would say I'm sort of uh, got some kind of gripe going on. Yeah. But just I like tension in music. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of, I think the stage is where it sort of manifests itself, really. Do you know what I mean? Was that always in your music taste when you were growing up and that? Like, what was the music you, you grew up with? Because there's the, there yeah. is, I think the thing that I connected with is there always felt like a punk influence and a hip-hop influence. And that yeah. was the two genres that I grew up in yeah. love with. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was, I'm, t- I'm too young to have sort of bumped right into the sort of... Uh, the 70s punk rock. Yeah. I was more two-tone, you know. This was going when I first got into music, when I was really young, you know, the two-tone thing was the thing I got into. And I think it was literally like my dad bought me a alarm clock radio, must have just picked up the first cassette he saw. Yeah. It happened to be Dance Craze. It was a two-tone live album. Right. Basically, uh, yeah, just got into that. And just I just loved the specials, you know, and just yeah. remember just looking at the album cover and just thinking, yeah, man, I want to be in that gang. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And just, I just like the fact that it was sort of multiracial as well. Yeah, way, do you yeah, know what I mean? Completely. It was just really exciting and different, you know. And, it, and I think from pretty uh, young age, I was, um, I kind of knew I wasn't into pop music. I could tell, you know. Yeah. I was into music that had a kind of force behind it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of, I get you. Yeah. A bit of bollocks, you know. Yeah, I love that. So, so how was that out in? small town Essex because it's there's yeah. not going to be a burgeoning music scene also gr- growing up in Essex I know yeah. in the 80s and 90s it wasn't that multiracial either right. you know what I mean? so that must have been yeah. a positive example to have that kind yeah. of tape to go oh right yeah. this is a mixture this isn't the white land that I, yeah. I live in and of course like when when the two tone um, sort of uh, when the two tone thing exploded it was about the fashion you know yeah. and you know, about the style, about the fashion, about the music. And, you know, obviously as a kid, you know, you bump into these, you, you, you know, these bands perform the top of the pops. So you could see like the beat, the selector. And so it was, you, you're kind of drawn in by the style of it all and kind of the way they are, they're cool, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, it's school and I'm sure there's thousands of people that were trying to bend the rules. But like, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd see how far you can take the piss and go in with the Stay Press and the Fred Perry with a tie yeah, on, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and a, try and bend the rules to kind of do that so that was kind of the first thing and then when that sort of tapered off I sort of electro appeared and yeah. I just I think when I heard Grandmaster Flash and the wheels are still that first tune my friend was um, a DJ he was just a, a sort of mobile DJ and he played sort of jazz funk and Brothers Johnson and stuff like that and then and then Grandmaster Flash released that that tune and it was like I just I just thought he's made that out of other people's tunes yeah. Cutting them up on the turntables. I could do that. Yeah. I just like the... Then I started doing the pause button sort of stuff. It's, Mate, I've, I've got know. a weird story about that. The, yeah. There's a guy at my club night who... He's the best DJ I've had. He's a DMC champ. His name's DJ Destruction. Yeah. And he was on Mike Allen's LBC in a pause button mix contest against you. Um, and he, he reckons that you came... <laughs> first and second and he came third he reckons that you were under under two different names but he yeah. was definitely he, he was just second. behind you yeah yeah he, he, i was i came first oh this this is what happened i so i, I borrowed my mate this is the dj guy i borrowed yeah. his four track recorder and he, he I, I don't know why he had it but i just i thought well, i'm gonna put it to use i took it for a few days and just 
put together this little mix and Mike Allen on, was it Capital? Yeah, wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Capital Rap Show. He was having, uh, I think CJ McIntosh was, was going to be the judge of it. He was the DJ. He was oh, the wow. judge of the thing. And basically like it was like the three minute mix and I entered one mix under DJ Fame or something. And, um, and then I kind of thought, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I was really happy with that. And then so I entered another one under a different name, DJ ED. And yeah, come first and third. So <laughs> Amazing. Quite, so yeah, he came second yeah. a place in there. So so how was that though, to get that kind of, to have radio allowing you that that outlet, I guess? Because again, in, that was I, the first I do thing. believe in these small town Essex side yeah. things, you need those <laughs> things that allow you to go, oh, this could be a thing. Yeah. This is possible. It's not just... Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that was the first thing that happened to me that... And this is all from a bedroom, and I was young yeah. still. I was like, um, how old was I? I? Must have been fifteen. Um, I was still at school, and I was like, yeah, that, it was exciting, you know. And I kind of, I didn't really think much of more of it, but like, I mean, Mike Allen still owes me a pair of uh, Adidas trainers that never turned up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So I think, I think he died, unfortunately. I think he passed away actually. Well, you have to inquire with the estate um, <laughs> <laughs> on these old trainers but so w- w- what was the journey from pause button yeah of mixes in your bedroom to essentially putting a, a rocket under the rave scene with charlie and yeah man with the explode and with with xl and obviously i've had i've had nick hawks on on the podcast yeah. and i had richard russell <clears throat> produce yeah. a track on my solo record so right, xl yeah. are just mm. an amazing thing but yeah. it kind of they stumbled upon some gold there you know an exciting moment an explosion they certainly didn't stumble on it i stumbled into their <laughs> office and forced forced it on them uh, basically like i i've kind of this is what happened i i was into hip-hop and after going out a few times in london were well, lots of times and just not really you know not really feeling it and it was kind of a quite sort of um a volatile sort of stage and it was it was kind of like I think Westwood, we were following Westwood around and he, he did a gig in, um, it might have been lower stuff, I can't remember the exact thing. And after after his set, it turned into like an acid house party. Right. And I just stood there on the balcony and my mates were like, we're going to go. And I just thought, what is this? You know, I've, I'm seeing something I've never seen before. It was like everyone sort of communicating to each other on the dance floor. And it's gone from a kind of like a moodiness that was kind of, always pretty heavy in the hip-hop jams, yeah. you know. Um, and Essex was heavy, you know, yeah. without a doubt. You know, I mean, we'd spent all our youth all over Essex and into East London, and it was it was heavy, you know. Um, but then I, I saw, like, a, I, I just heard sort of, like, these DJs were mixing kind of, like, the beats with this kind of new type of music, you know, I'd never heard before. It's kind of acid house music. and yeah. But it was the feel I got from it. It was the... I guess it was going back to the sound system culture. It was, it was the bass, you know. And, yeah. and I was from that moment, I was hooked. So I'd, I spent all 1990 basically just writing and going out. And I think I went to Excel with a demo tape. I phoned Nick up and said, I've got a demo. Yeah, post it. No, and no, I'm coming down. So I just drove down there. Amazing. Um, car full of the lads, you know, and drove, drove down there and basically, uh, yeah, said, Bosh, there it is, you know listened to it and I sat there while listening to it and then I went I forgot about it went back home I was working in, um, as a, a junior artist in a um, design studio oh, wow. um, payphone on the wall yeah. and it rang two weeks later and it was Nick saying uh, yeah we want to offer you a deal so basically that was that was how the whole thing started so that at that point I was going out 
with Keith and Leroy. We were yeah. raving. We were just going out to the raves. All I see, I was going to say, what was the prodigy at that point? Not at that point, nothing, because yeah. we were just friends. Yeah. And then we'd we'd sort of go out every Friday to this place called the Essex Barn, and all the big DJs came through there. Frankie Bones, you know, Lenny yeah. D. Um, Mr. C was there every week. I mean, it was at one point it was one of the top clubs in the country. It was a great place, and it also had like Damsky played there live. You know, all the sort of big, I guess you could call them PAs, really. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy, you know. We we were sitting there, and we were, I was friends with Keith, you know, and I think I'd, he'd heard some of my demos and stuff, and he he was like, I think it was Leroy's idea to get the band together. Yeah, he just said we could do better than that. We come, yeah. why don't we do it? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I love the motivation of live gigs like that. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm, I remember it was, it, it, it was a weird one for me. In the same week, I saw the Beastie Boys uh, um, when they had their circular stage, oh, I think yeah, it was at Wembley, yeah. and I saw the Bloodhound Gang. And both of them, again, at no point was I saying I can do better than that, but I was like, it looked achievable. It, it was yeah. the first thing I'd been to, because growing up in, in punk and that, and I played a bit of guitar, but I wasn't very yeah. good and all that. Every band, it kind of felt, oh no, that's 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 beyond me. And again, like working class Essex, yeah. you need all this equipment, you Mate, need this and that. They were the first absolutely. ones I saw, and I was like, yeah, that like we could like with the greatest respect in the world, we could do something yeah. like that at yeah. the very least. And that's yeah. a huge motivation. In that way, it's really DIY, and that's that's what drew me towards it. I was the same as you. I, there was no access into music with a guitar. Yeah. So you've got to learn to play guitar for so many years, and I just. It wasn't, I was lazy, you know, I just kind of like, I like the immediacy of like, just this kind of making something out of nothing, you yeah. know, looping a beat, do you know what I mean? That's, that was my entry point into that. And so the, the kind of rave, the East London breakbeat rave, that raw pirate radio sound, that's the shit I honed in on. That's the stuff I really loved. And Shut Up and Dance were the first people that started that whole movement, do you know what I mean? I've yeah. got to send respect to them guys, you know. There was lots of early records that were knocking about, you know, DJ Hype was on the scene and all these all these dudes were kind of making this music that that kind of connected the dots between yeah. what I was doing before and the early rave stuff, you know. So that was the first gig we played was in um, Four Aces in Hackney, real sort of underground, run-down old theatre. I think it was an old reggae venue from the 80s, you know, they used to do put sound systems in there and stuff. Yeah. And then... Uh, Friday night it turned into like this kind of um, yeah this madhouse just strobes and kind of just yeah full on just mayhem yeah we just we played that that was the first gig and then the guy Joe he asked us back to play the Saturday yeah so then we're off we haven't stopped since literally yeah it's amazing I mean immediacy seemed like a key word there because it was as soon as this started it seemed to go absolutely mental and I remember I used to take the chart shows off the radio and, and listen to her on my Walkman as I was, I was doing my paper round. I, I delivered the, the yellow advertiser. And I remember clearly the excitement of hearing um, everybody in the place um, in the charts. And I, I believe it got to number two and it was only because yeah. Freddie Mercury had just, had just died and they re-released Bohemian Rhapsody that yeah. kept off the number one spot. But it was that time that it seemed all of a sudden there was music that I'd never heard mm. on chart shows before. I'd never, I, I wouldn't have had access to as a younger yeah. kid. As a, yeah, I'm yeah. a, I'm a few years younger than you. As that young kid, I didn't have an option of going and and finding this stuff. So, yeah. whilst the charts aren't the be all and end all in those days, it was a fucking powerful a, a vessel f- 
for, for getting the music out there to people who wouldn't have been able to find it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was the it was the it was the fans that put it there. Yeah. They brought the records. You know, I mean, we we furiously declined everything. Yes, yeah. we we were like. We were ravers, you know. We yeah. being in the charts is the last thing we want to do. Yeah, we, yeah. we were we were underground. Do you know what I mean? We we want to stay connected to that. So it's the punk um, rock outlook, isn't it? That yeah, it we, almost discredits you to do well. It's yeah, a bizarre no, it's, one. It's weird. It, <laughs> a lot of bands do struggle with that. I mean, I, I, you try and just stick to your guns, and as long as you can have some kind of integrity, yeah, keep that intact. It's like that's basically the way it's got to be, you know. But um, we rolled on with that, and. Um, it, it was great that people supported us, but you know the sort of chart positions and stuff were were great. But we we weren't really basing everything on that. We we yeah. were like happy we were playing at the parties we were going to, yeah. like rain dance. You know we we'd go there. That was East London, and we were like, well, if we could play this, it, we would we'd be we would have made it. You know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden we were there, Berwick Manor. You know, we played that. You know, all these great places, and um, so. It, I think um, culturally it's really important, the rave culture, you know, it's really yeah. significant, I think, you know. So how was it? Because, again, the rave culture isn't necessarily a culture that was known at the time for for albums. And you guys right, yeah. put an album together. And yeah. it was, again, I remember my older brother getting um, experience and Outer Space and Jericho yeah. and Rough in the Jungles. Yeah. So not only the singles, it, it felt like an album. Yeah. It felt like a body of work and a sound. Well, I didn't so how wanna, was that? Well, I didn't want to do an album. And Nick, who put XL together. Yeah. He kept saying, you should do an album, you should do an album. And, you know, we didn't want to do an album because it's... We wanted to party. Yeah, well, <laughs> we, wanted, we wanted to, to do release, tw- you know, DJ 12s. It was all about the yeah, 12s, yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah. It's kind of like, almost releasing an album is kind of making us more normal. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I So that. I rebelled against it for ages. And then then we, we kind of thought, okay, you know, maybe, maybe it would be good to do it. And then... But one thing I wasn't going to do is just put all the singles on. I think I re- remixed every track, you know. So when Charlie was on there, it was a different version, you know. And so all, all the singles were different versions. They were just um, all new mixes, you know. Yeah. So I felt, I, was, yeah. I felt it was a bit cheap to kind of give people stuff they've already heard. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah, way, yeah. Here's you know? this, but all in one place. Yeah. So, all right, cheers, yeah. I got that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At what point, this is, again, this is a a unique conversation to, to us because... The last time I saw you was um, at our mutual. It's probably how we met, I guess, originally was mm. through Dave Clark, yeah. who was your yeah. accountant, and yeah. his son Matt is my accountant, and Dave. Both of them were involved with you guys for so long. Yeah. And at the funeral of Dave, mm. it was kind of said how he kind of an, an accountant. It sounds like a small thing. It sounds like the guy is just 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 putting yeah. the numbers together. But it did feel like he had a greater impact. That he kind of came to you guys and and helped you become. A business as such, like like what you went on to be, rather than just some kids who were there yeah. to have some fun and make some music. Dave, Dave was more; he was a great friend of us, you know. And basically, like none of us really knew what we were doing. No, you know. And I think Dave obviously was the person that probably knew the most what he was doing. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah. we've always had like a great team around us, and you know, um, my manager Mike. You know, um, he's with a combination of Mike, Dave, and and you know the people around us have yeah. had the same ethic as we did, you know, yeah. this kind of fuck you, you know, this is, we're doing it this way. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've seen, I'm not really a record company guy. So I've, I've been in meetings with Dave where he's, where he's stood up for me. And yeah. it's, it's great to have someone that speaks the same language, you, whatever the job is. And if they're on your side, yeah. and they're speaking the same language, they've got your back. Yeah. That means a lot to and me. And that's absolutely know? key when the people on the business side of it are, are as 
fuck you as 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 you are if, yeah. if, if they're like what well, that's not what you want it might be good business it might be good money but that's not the prodigy that's mm. not Liam that's not Keith that's you know so we'll we'll back you on that it, it, it never felt as if there was it seems that you picked a team really well that they weren't necessarily ever going yeah. I know you don't want to do this but you probably should it's like no we'll do it how we do it yeah I mean all the, all the business stuff really was it was just taken care of you know what I mean we we never really there wasn't really any really a plan as yeah. such you know what I mean it's kind of like oh well, I've got to pay tax have I yeah. well yeah. when <laughs> well no you owe a load of money now okay you know so it's like it was a bit like that you know we Mate. none of us really I mean I I was working as like that office junior I said you know yeah. I think Keith was travelling around Lee was doing a bit of work here and there and so we kind of it was the first proper job we've had yeah yeah you know, yeah, yeah first yeah. regular income doing the band and it, again it, it wasn't really it's not a job you know I mean, yeah. it's kind of like it never once has felt like a job to me you know being in this band yeah you know it shouldn't ever you know I love that so it's kind of like yeah when you talk about the business side it's I've never really thought about it like that yeah I just thought Dave is my friend yeah 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 <laughs> and, yeah and he's, and he's uh, looking after yeah and he, shit. he you know and he's great you know and it's uh that's the kind of people you want around you it's key man because again Matt has been the exact same for me and just he's meant I've not got in trouble numerous times because I don't think about any of that shit. I don't know about yeah. what tax. I'm, I just know that he'll make sure the money's there to pay the tax man and it'll all be legit and it'll all be fine. Otherwise, I'd get in trouble through ignorance rather than through being dodgy or snidey yeah. or anything else you when, know? when you know when you've got three lunatics in the band you don't want your accountants um, off their tits do you you, know, you, <laughs> exactly. you need them to be on the ball so exactly. you know i think we chose the right people there and yeah <laughs> so so because of the time of it and because of it experience and all that being so out there but then instantly instantly came into connect a lot of people m- must have thought it was a flash in the pan that this is some kids just playing some music and it'll be gone as quickly as it came yeah so how did it feel then to come out with jilted and again it be a respected artistically you know mercury nominated all this kind of thing this again another complete album and a complete an evolution of the sound as well yeah everything in the band has has always happened naturally nothing is we've always gone with that gut feeling always tried to stick to what we what we all believe you know and I think what happened was, I, you know, I was on stage at some rave in Scotland and I just thought, I'm not into this anymore. Mm. This isn't doing it for me. This isn't what, this isn't what it was, yeah. you know. And I don't know what this is, but it ain't me. Do you know what I mean? It lost its kind of ferocious kind of raw energy, you know. Yeah. It, it just was a bit toy town. Do you know what I mean? So I just, I just thought, I've, I've had enough now. It's and, so important to have that. That yeah. honesty with yourself yeah, because again yeah. if things are going well it's easy to go yeah. ah they're going well even if it's dying a bit for you you can go yeah they're going well yeah it's, i know man that's, that's here's true. what they want i that's can make true. more of this you know but because it's such a big part of your life you kind of you kind of think you know is it a matter of stopping this band or, and starting a new one or what but basically what happened next was we went to um la um i think we were doing probably the last video of experience which must have been wind it up i think it was um and Rage Against the Machine's first album come out. Yeah. And I remember we bought that, and I think The Chronic was out as well at the same time, and we just played that solid for a week while we were there. And I came back just like, I think as well going to that trip to LA, you know, we did a lot of stuff that week, you know, and yeah. just saw a lot of stuff, and it just really opened my eyes. And I think it was just a moment in time when it, I just flipped, do you know what I mean? The, the mind had just opened to something else, you know? Yeah. 
and I saw another way forward for us. And the rave scene had kind of like practically gone, you know, and um, you got this the criminal justice bill thing yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that kind of spurred on a kind of certain energy to write these new songs. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I see it as a smooth transition. Some other people will look at the first and second album as kind of like completely different. Yeah. But when I look back now, I can kind of see it's transition. Maybe it's because I was inside it. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah um, of course. Yeah, I remember every track on that album was kind of rebelling against something. Yeah. You know, it would be like... You know, poison. Everyone was was trying to write faster music. You know, the drum and bass, the jungle music was was getting ridiculous. It was touching 180 BPM and stuff yeah. like that. And so I thought, right, just let's bring the hip hop back. And so that track was really, I was really happy, we proud of that track when we yeah. did that. And as well, that was Maxim's Maxim's first time he got on the mic and laid the vocals down. Yeah, of course. So that instantly felt like, right, we've got something that's a bit different here now. Yeah. We, we can we can keep what we had before, but we can retain that, but we can do this. And what we actually did, we went back to playing rock and roll venues. We played the marquee. We went to, to unis and yeah. just started from ground one zero yeah. on the live side again. Yeah. You know? And and people just came to see us. And, that's... and it, again, it's beautiful there. You've, I mean, you've got on the wall there, f- f- fuck this and fuck that. You know, <laughs> a Johnny Rotten at his best. Yeah. And the thing that was key about the punk era at that time was that it wasn't just about let's get our anger out by playing as fast as possible. You, every time I put on a Pistols album or Clash, half their stuff, it's slower oh, than yeah, I remember it's it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's slower than I remember it. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly. That. It's that yeah. controlled anger. Yeah. And that's an important thing there. That the, the, the rave scene was at a point where it was like, right, we need to just go faster. We need to go yeah. faster. And someone turned around and went, no, we need to go harder. It's not about faster, it's about going harder. And that's yeah. what you guys did. You kind of yeah. came out. And it was at that point as well that whilst you'd, you'd done videos previously, it felt with Jilted, mm. you started to find your, your look and your style and the direction that you were going to yeah. go in, uh, with that. No good being yeah. just this beast <clears throat> of a video, just dark and grimy yeah, and yeah. I exciting. Mean, I, I would say um, we were talking about the two-tone culture earlier, which, yeah. you know, the style of that and how smart people used to look. Obviously that was really connected to fashion and style. Yeah. There wasn't particularly any fashion and style connected to the rave era as such, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, any, yeah, or yeah. any particular style as such. So obviously like at that time, we just rolled around in baggy, <laughs> baggy you know, tracksuit bottoms and weren't, but when the second album, you know, cause I think it is important how you look, you know, any band wants to try and look something, you know, yeah. you know, it's, it's really important. I don't understand bands who can't be bothered with album sleeves or artwork and they're not into the whole thing of it. I think he's, you know, he's all important. It's all part of that initial impact. Yeah, I always remember yeah. chatting with Sage Francis and, and B Dolan when they were over and they were saying mm. that they, a few guys on Strange Famous on their label in America, they'd kind of taken aside and said, your live performance is great, but you're walking on stage wrong. And that sounds really small and stupid but that's yeah. a massive part of it that first view of you that first impact is a huge thing so yeah. if you're just kind of slumping out there it's like no you need to be you, you need to know how the show's starting because it is all of that and equally an album cover can set the tone for how you hear that record Absolutely. if you're looking at it and like oh this feels yeah. exciting or it feels yeah. dangerous yeah. then you've started the job there you know yeah, I agree with you man I mean moving forwards quickly to um, when I wrote uh invaders album which was 
three albums back now. Yeah. We had the cover really early on. Yeah. And I just put that on the wall. And just that image of that, that sort of airship thing. Yeah. Um, was like some kind of spaceship landing. It, it, I don't know. It had, a, it had a certain, it helped with the music, you know, just to be able to look at that image and kind of soundtrack it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, and so, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying with that. I mean, I mean with Jilted, it was, um, it, it's not one of my favourite covers. I kind of look back at it now and I, kind of, I guess you're always a bit kind of, it's easy to sort of look back and stuff and pick it apart. But, um, I do it all the time. I, actually, yeah. I, I, I posted all our album covers the other day and our, our second album, I was like, I loved it at the time, but it does nothing for me now. It's got no, everything else, it tells me something yeah. about that time. That yeah. one, it felt like yeah. we've gone, oh, we're a professional band now. We need to have a professional looking album cover. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, no, I know. So how was it? I mean, you spoke about um, the kind of the transition and, and the, the build and you feeling it was a, a natural transition rather than anything jarring absolutely going on to the next album you started to build a band and you started to build a, a live band and all all, yeah. all that kind of thing that, for, that um, kind of started at jilted really because i'd recorded some guitars and was experimenting with bringing those into the set and kind of type of thing and so first of all we had the guitarist um we wasn't sure whether we liked it or not do you know what i mean but it we eventually liked it when we got it right. I think yeah. it was a hard thing to get, to get right at the beginning, but or, um, or, or you, I, w- I went to my mate's band, Serious Problem, and and grabbed their guitarist at, at some point for some level of t- of time. And I, again, I remember it being all the hype around our area of like, it's going to join the prodigy. Like this is this is the, this is this huge thing. I can't. I don't know. I know Stu Whiffin, who was the who was the front man of 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 Serious Problem, but um. Actually. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it is Richard. Yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, we tried loads of people out. Um, in in serious problem, he dressed up as like a priest or some shit, and it was just had this like this over the top look. But yeah, great. Yeah, but how was that to kind of you got his to, number? <laughs> yeah, like how was that to put things together and to move things about and go? Because again, it's it's one thing starting a band when there's no n- no eyes on you. I was, I was yeah. talking about this to a mate of mine, Polar Bear the other day i was saying if i ever come back to playing live yeah it'll take a lot of practice because i felt i got good and generally you get to be shit at the period when no one's looking at you like, like when you've got audiences of four or five people yeah. that's when you get to be shit by the time you've got thousands yeah you've been doing it a long time you've got really fucking good yeah yeah how was that because you're having to put that together when you've already got eyes on you and you don't know how it's going to be yet you've not added a, a, a drummer or a guitarist or whatever else well we we added the, the, the way we did the drums was we, we always knew we weren't going to use the drummer as as a normal band uses a drummer. Yeah. Because the power of the music and the, the foundation in the music is the drums and the bass from the prodigy, you know. That yeah. has to come from me. Yeah. You know, so the way we'd, we'd integrated the drummer into the, into the set, I mean, this might sound a bit boring, but like basically, okay. um, you know, we'd... We'd EQ the dr- the bottom out of the drum kit, so you get the high end excitement and the snare. Right. So yeah. all the bottom end comes from me, the bass. That's perfect. And, and we just found a way, a pocket where it just works, and gave it a live feel. So when he's playing to the to the, he's playing to the click and the drum machine, it kind of just adds the extra thing on top. And we've experimented lots of ways to to make to play this music live. And I think we we all agree we agree we finally found the perfect way to do it in around 
it might sound crazy, in around 2005. Right, right, It was that right. far in. Yeah. So I think the technology wasn't there for us to be able to... Um, to that be makes able sense. To, yeah, to be able to just change things up really quick and yeah. just go to, like... Because, you know, electronic music can be quite limiting, you know, machines always break down and... Do you know what I mean? It's yep. kind of like we went through a stage doing gigs where every gig something broke down and we ended up having to sell all the equipment and just get new stuff. I, and, mean, I don't and, know what happened there. And for live as well, because starting off electronic, it's not about the people who are playing it. It's about yeah. the room. It's about everyone you're yeah. vibing off there. I, and then I, you suddenly start to become this yeah. this band, particularly, as I said, particularly more Fat of the Land era, where yeah. it felt like it was now. But you, you've got, you've had... Firestarter, and you've had Keith yeah. explode into yeah. Keith, you yeah. know. So it is now. It's not you can't be that kind of. Oh, we'll just play and you dance. It's like no, 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 man, no. It was natural. It was a natural uh, progression into that. And also, I think I think people would like to sort of put you in in pigeonholes. They like to be able to know what you're. What, so what are you? What are you, you're a band? Are you? If if people thought of us somewhere in between, sort of what Public Enemy do. Yeah. Like as in the way they're set up is with um it's halfway in, in between that and and a guitar band. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like do, do you see what I'm saying? It's kind of that yeah, completely. Kind of philosophy, because that's where I come from, you know. Yeah. So um yeah, but going back to Keith, I mean sometimes um the band is led by me, yeah. like and my my actions and yeah. songs and stuff. And you know, Poison was led by Maxim. He 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 went I'm doing vocals on this track. See, it was him that pushed at that particular moment. And I, I probably haven't talked about this much, actually, but it was Keith that, that made the whole Firestarter thing happen. Yeah. You know, I backed him up. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. He had the foresight and he said, the guy with long hair, he's gone. I'm the same guy, but now I can really express myself because now I've got a mic. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm with you, brother, whatever you want to do, you know. And we that. didn't know what was going to happen. You know, we... I wrote Firestarter as an instrumental on first track. I just thought it was going to be the first track on Fat of the Land instrumental. Comes in the studio and he goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a description about myself." I was like, "Let's do it." And you know, we'd written it in half an hour. Um, and but there was many more lyrics on on the demo. And then sort of I'd listen to it over and over again the next couple of days and stripped them all out. Got the right amount of vocals and stuff. And then I remember going to the strong rooms because we were going to record um, record the music and the vocals all again in the big studio. And we got to the studio and <laughs> they just couldn't get the music sounding like I had it. Right. Because I really, like, by that time I was really into production. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Mastered the sound, you know. Yeah. And they, you know, whoever was doing it, they just, we were like, it's used the demo. Amazing, so I love we, that. The demo is what's out there, and the vocals were recorded. And we tried Keith in a vocal booth, and that was shit. Um, so we ended up SM58 next to the mixing desk, screaming into the mic, and that's how it happened. That's beautiful. And it's, yeah, it's great, man. It, I love the fact that it naturally stripped itself back down to yeah. <laughs> to nothing. You know? Yeah, yeah. Again, we'd spent you know, two grand in this studio, but it naturally came back down to a 50-quid mic. I love that. I did, on a lead, on, you know. On, on my first ever ever record on no commercial uh, uh, breaks, it was the first time I'd got to be in a real studio and all that, and I only had I could only afford three days. Yeah. So we recorded it all yeah. in three days. And it was exactly the same. There was there was one tr- a track there that it didn't have the rawness of the demo that I'd recorded in my mum's bedroom yeah. with mattresses up and a <laughs> towel over the top yeah, and yeah. all this. 
and I ended up just going back back to that because I was like, at points or on good speakers, it's almost unlistenable because it's so such yeah. low quality. But yeah. it's like that. It's got that energy, it's got right? Like it's, a, it's got it there. It's got like a cassette quality. About yeah. It. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that was Firestar, and I remember driving home from Strong Room back to Essex, and me and Keith, and just the feeling of two best mates creating something yeah. that you just know can't be touched. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. We didn't know, give a fuck, whether it was going to be single or whatever it was going to be. We didn't know anything about that. Yeah. All we knew was, put it on again, put it on again. Oh, yeah, yeah. man. We, we just nailed it. And that, that's a great feeling to have because, Amazing. I, you know, writing music, that's the feeling I look for myself when I'm writing music in the studio anyway. But to have that with... I had it with Maxim when we did Poison and then to have it with Keith again with that, like that. So that was great, a great feeling. That's it. I was going to say, like, how is that when you've been the leader and your mates are stepping up for the first time and you're supporting them, but then they fucking knock it out of the park? Like, how rewarding is that? Because, again, there must be a level of, well, you know, I'll back you, but it may or may not work. Like, yeah, you, don't, you don't know until that point. But I'm, I'm Poison all... is a prime example of that, that yeah. he just stepped up and made yeah. a... We, Stone Cold we never doubted ourselves ever because we we knew it'd work, you know. Yeah. Because it's like we we write the rules. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like um, I remember the first time we played it on stage, and it wasn't the first time, but I remember playing it at Brixton probably within the first three or four gigs. Yeah, and I remember, you know, literally, I remember Keith thinking, "Fuck, what are the lyrics? I can't remember the lyrics." You know, because <laughs> his mind had just gone into what the fuck at that point. Yeah, I'm right, I'm fucking going to do it, and the track finished. And it was like deadly silence. It was like, and then, you know, just, and then I just thought, yeah, man, this track's got, this, it's got the fire. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. In live, if, you, if it works live, then you're, you know, you just, because we love the tune. Yeah. And but it's when, seeing if it's got that energy so, with the crowd. People are going to accept Keith on the mic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah, they loved it. And it was kind of like a natural progression that Keith had got that mic and, Basically, just is, it was just an extension of him, another side of Keith, yeah, an extra bit of him, you know. And seeing that energy translated into the crowd, right? So you're suddenly not just got the rave crowd; you've got people moshing and going nuts. I got I got mm. kicked out twice of the Prodigy All Nighter at Brixton because I got kicked out for going too mental for crowd serving too much, yeah. and then I broke back in. Yeah, I went back to the door and I said, "I've got my ticket for my coat," and they're like, "Well, you've been kicked out." I was like, Look, "It's it's just up there," and I walked in, and the way Brixton is. The, yeah. the cloakroom's up the big stairs. Yeah. I put one foot on the step. I looked round at them and then just ran and ran through the big doors and back into the crowd. And then later on, I was like, Good. out there again about 10 minutes later cause, because it had that? the energy. I don't know. I've no yeah. idea on that. I've got a, f- a few I've noted on. Yeah. I want to talk about, I was at V97 and I was at, at oh, Reading yeah. 98 and both of them were huge. But yeah. yeah. Brixton is a, is a academy, is a sort of spiritual home, if you like. Yeah. We, I think um, the guy told us we'd, played it the most times out of any band which yeah. we were proud of it might not mean anything to anyone else but we we like that you know yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, really well that's a, that's a nice little that's statistic yeah. book. no but um yeah so that kind of um really opened everything up but i think we saw a change in the crowd from when we did jilted because yeah. like um when we did that album the second album we had the opportunity and again going back to like the people you work with is we've got this great few people that are that are like-minded as us, you know, taking yeah. risks. What, how can, where can we put, where can we play? You know, what kind of countries can we play in? And we basically ended up doing the rock festival 
And you've got to remember that time, the, the electronic music was so far away from like a rock band. It yeah, was, it was Helmer, uh, suicidal tendencies, um, biohazard. And that was an era where you didn't cross over either. No. It was you loved metal, you hated oh, yeah, electronic. Absolutely. That and, was and it was rivalry. Metal, like yeah. metal, they don't like anything else yeah. usually. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this was in, um, it was Holt Thread Festival, I believe. And, um, yeah, we went on stage and it was hardcore, but we played it and afterwards we felt like we got respect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I stayed friends with Evan from Biohazard from that day. Yeah. Um, he's a good fellow. And basically, like, we just thought, yeah, okay, this this is, we, we, we're going to do this, we're going to do this way. So, again, it was just always a natural progression. It wasn't ever, we just landed with Firestar and oh well, what the fuck can we do what is number one what, yeah. what are we doing it was a gradual build all the time it was constantly building when you're in it you don't really get a chance to kind of analyse it and pat yourself on the back or you know we, you just, we're just constantly working all the time yeah. I wasn't yeah. home much and that's it I mean I think you do you you write your own story mm. in, in a, a lot of these things um, I remember I was on tour the first time I was touring my solo stuff with my live band mm. and I I had a track with Travis Barker and yeah. Danny Lonner from Nine Inch Nails, all this yeah. kind of thing. And it was the first time that we were doing that live and the first night of the tour was in Hull and it was in like an arts centre and there was a power cut and everything. It was still cool. I did some spoken word, all that, but it was still cool, but it went wrong. And I came off stage and B Dolan, who was su- supporting us, had tweeted saying, that's the first time I've seen a mosh pit at a, at a hip-hop gig. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, We've got the rest of the tour to do. Yeah. The next night, yeah. mosh pit. Every night of the tour, yeah, yeah. mosh pit. Hadn't happened in Hull. But again, he wrote yeah. that own story. And that's what it felt like with the No Good Start the Dance over there. You had this dark, almost aggressive scene, rather than the happy rave scene that you'd seen previously. Yeah, man. And that wrote itself. It then yeah. meant that everyone yeah. was going to these gigs, and it was darker, and it was grimier, yeah. and it was... Those videos, those early videos, you know, the, the ones that from sort of um, jilted onwards were... They were good. We had a good run of videos. I mean, the thing with videos, and I've said it before, is that you do have to put your trust and into someone else, you know, making this thing, yeah. this visual connection. for, And you do your best to, you know, to, to talk to the director and kind of put the idea, understand what he's doing and try and say, is that right? And put some of yourself in it. But it is the one area that I don't really like, you know, because it's kind of, um, I guess I'm a, I am a control freak. I realise yeah, that yeah. now. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, basically, you have to really take a bit of a leap of faith. And we've we've got um, we've been to like five videos because I didn't like them. Oh, really? And they were expensive videos back then. And it's like, nah. We there was the Firestarter video. There was one because that went off. That well, th- that, that, that was that just was the second video we made for it. Oh, really? The black and white one. And the wow. reason why it's black and white is because we spent all the money on the first one, which <laughs> is shit. So That's mind blowing. I met a director in Europe, like I think it was MTV awards ceremony or something, and I kind of liked what he did, and so we got him to do the Firestarter video, and he delivered it, and I was like, nah, nah, man, this is not, that isn't capturing what Keith has cr- we've created. Yeah. You know? And so we just, we shelved it, you know, it was like 100 grand or something, and um, went back to XL and said, listen, <laughs> forget about that video it's, I said we won't have a video yeah and they're like well we need a video so I basically um, I spoke to Walter um, who had made the no good video Poison Voodoo People all those great videos I rang him up I said shit man I said I need your help here you know I said um, 
we haven't got any money, but, you know, can you help us out and do this video? And it's just the fact that he was so creative. I remember driving to the shoot. It's black and white because we spent all the budget. Yeah. And we're on the way. This is typical of the us, though, because everything happens spontaneously. Like, Keith's like, whoa, stop the car. Pulled over, ran into a shop, come out with the, with the Stars and Stripes jumper, put it on wow. on the way to the video shoot. Know. <laughs> you know. And... And then, That's you know, mad. basically you're like, where the fuck are we going? He's like, oh, yeah, we've got, we've managed to get into like Albridge tube station, disused station. Yeah. Went down there and just, yeah, it was just, I mean, that was another, another um, good moment because, you know, when, you, when you're doing videos, and you know, I don't particularly like doing them, but Keith made that video. You know, he is his energy and he's yeah. sort of believing in, belief in himself, yeah. which, like I say, for various parts of the band, all three of us have stepped up, which is great, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, completely. And and again, it kind of, it caused a stir. It had people saying it was scary, that they didn't want it on TV, that it was scaring their kids and that's, stuff like that. People that's, just, just don't know how to express themselves. So that's got to be music people. to your ears. Are they right? When, when Wallies are getting fired up over something, you know that's just going to be like, right, we're doing we're doing something right. We're doing think, something I, that's I, pushing I it. Yeah, I don't even think you think like that. You just think, yeah, whatever, you know, and you yeah. get on with it. You, you know, I don't remember really having any thought or listening to what other people had to say about it because we were yeah. so no, we were so on what we were doing and sure of the way we were doing it that we just we never really listened to it. We didn't really yeah. listen to the record company, you know, and. But Richard from XL was always great. You know, I mean, Nick had left XL, I believe, after the first album. Yeah. Um, he'd started another label. <clears throat> when Richard took over, you know, me and Rich were really tight. Um, he's a great guy. And he, what I like about Richard is he, he takes risks. You know, he was almost like another member of the band. In, yeah. In, he was, you know, he was, we respected him. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... He was like, yeah, we, of course we're fucking going to do that. That's what we're going to do, you know. And it's like without any just just ballsy risks and like those are the types of people we like to work with. And, yeah. you know, basically great. It just, um, that was that was fat of the land. And, but the funny thing was I, Firestarter came out, I believe, in, was it 96? It was, a, I think it was 96, possibly 95, I can't remember actually. But it was a year later that yeah. the album came out. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah, a whole yeah. year. Yeah. Which is crazy, really. Yeah, it's mad um, to have this big single and not immediately go, oh, we need to follow it up, yeah, quick, quick, nothing, quick. Nothing, though. Not even yeah. another single. It was literally yeah. like Breathe. Um, we were playing Breathe live. Yeah. And, uh, and Richard said, I reckon that's, that could be a good single, that, you know. And so, again, we weren't even thinking about it. It was just another track we were playing live. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, that came out and then you were into Fat of the Land and that's when it really fucking went mad. Yeah, yeah. That, was cha- that was really chaos from there onwards, really. Those, like, that back end of the 90s, it was just like, we didn't stop, man. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And we, yeah. we headed into serious burnout. End of 99, rolling into 2000, we'd, I think we'd all had enough. Well, that was it. For me as a fan, I, I saw you at V97, and again, that was just a f- filled... F- Full of people losing their shit. That. It was really it was just. A, it was just like an electrical storm happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. all just the energy of, yeah. of of nature and of the band and of the crowd yeah. was just all at one. It we was. Felt, we felt as well with that gig. I mean, I, I live in I've lived in London for years now, but I felt we felt that it was kind of like a homecoming gig. Yeah, in a yeah, way. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So we we owned it. Yeah, it was like, you know, it was a 
that was that was a great gig. I won't forget that. You know? Yeah. So I mean, we spoke just now of ignoring what other other people think and what other people say. And one of the other gigs I saw you at was a, a, a Red in '98. Yeah. And that was where the Beastie Boys had requested that you didn't <clears throat> yeah. play "Smack My Bitch Up," sure. and, and and Maxim came on the mic like a monster and kind of you know yeah it was all expressed that you do what you want kind of thing yeah how was that how discussed was that beforehand how in the moment was that how much consideration was given we had a little off with them backstage yeah Um, no fists just a big row yeah Um, Ad-Rock rang me I mean this story is old now isn't it everyone probably knows but you know Ad-Rock rang me at my house um, the night before right and I was like first of all how'd you get my number yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Um, and we're talking about a guy who I respect. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was into the Beastie Boys, so it's kind of a weird phone call to be having. Yeah. So I'm, now I'm reassessing what what are you about? Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, what I'm about. Yeah, what yeah. are you about? Yeah. And why why are you telling me what I can do? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so it was a kind of weird. Yeah, it's a very unusual sort of situation to be in, really. And I knew once I told Keith. It'll be like, where the fuck are they? <laughs> of course. So, you know, it's kind of like, um, I had a bit more of a jovial sort of thing. I think I said to Evrock on the phone, all right, I'll play it twice for you then. And yeah. then hung up and that was that. <laughs> I, whereas Keith, Keith was more angry about it. Yeah, do you know what yeah. I mean? And I was just like, fuck them. You know, this is England, mate. Do you well, know what I mean? We'll you do know? what we want. And the other funny thing was that I sampled them on that Fat of the Land yeah. album. They were on the album. Yeah. So yeah. That, that made me laugh, really, in the yeah. background. You know, it's kind of a a, a, yeah. a crazy one. Well, I mean, I'll I'll continue on. I haven't even asked how much time we've got. Are you in any rush, no, or can mate, we kind of go through? Let's let's go through because I wanted to. Obviously, I, we will get to the new new record and yeah, tours on that. But I was like, that's right. As long as I can take my time, but totally. There you go, that was part one. As you will have heard, I was kind of, I got to the hour mark. Any regular listeners find it hilarious that I tend to mention when we're at the hour mark and wrap up. I don't know why, it's a fine thing to say. But yeah, you'll see that, you will have heard that I was like, there's a lot more I want to talk about. Have you got a bit more time? So we went for two hours, essentially. So yeah, part two is is up at midday. It might be up already, depending on when you're listening to this. Exciting times, guys. Let's just get on to part two. Oh, and again, if you want to join the Patreon crew to get a heads up, I, I mean, to be honest, I reckon if you've you've listened to all of this podcast in the hour or or this first half in the hour it's gone, the items have probably sold out. But um, me and Liam actually talk about the items or a version of the items at the end of the next podcast so um yeah i'll see you in part two bye-bye